welcome to the Small Business Sessions podcast from Enterprise Nation and the Business Connected Training Program. We help businesses go digital, adopt new technology, and stay safe online with our partners Vodafone Business, Builder.ai, and JP Morgan. This season of the podcast features stories, tips, and inspiration from some of Britain's best entrepreneurs and digital experts. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash business connected for more information. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Well, hello, everyone. My name's Dan Martin. I'm a freelance journalist and Enterprise Nation's news reporter. In this week's show, I'm joined by Navjot Sawney, founder of The Washing Machine Project. Navjot is a former Dyson engineer, and he was volunteering in India when he noticed the burden placed on women by unpaid domestic work. This inspired him to design the Divya, a crank-handle manual washing machine that is off-grid, fully sustainable, and saves both water and time. Through the Washing Machine Project, tens of thousands of people have been impacted worldwide, women have been empowered, and hundreds of washing machines have been distributed to villages, refugee camps, schools, and orphanages. Navjot's story is a really inspiring one, so let's get started. Well, Nav, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation, Dan. Really looking forward to the conversation. No problem at all. I've done a bit of research around your story, but I'm really looking forward to delving more into your really inspiring organization that you've built. So to kick us off, do you want to take us back to where it all began? How did you end up <laughs> going on this adventure? I feel like this first part could be a whole podcast <laughs> on its own, right? Yeah. To track back, I was born and brought up in London. I was a very curious child. My father was an aerospace engineer. And he would take me to air shows. I'd be fascinated with how these big objects would get into the sky, then come home, take the toolbox out of the cupboard, and I used to just break everything in sight. And I would really just be interested in how things worked. Mm. And that used to really make my mum very angry because I didn't really know how to put things back together again. Studying engineering at at university was a kind of natural transition, and I graduated, I joined one of the world's best graduate programs, making these really fancy products. I was there for about three years, Mm -hmm. and I got really fed up of making vacuum cleaners for rich people. So I decided to quit my job and go work for free in South India for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. The whole experience was an eye-opening one and completely changed the trajectory of my life Mm. because of my next-door neighbour, a lady called Divya. That's sort of quite a major step that you did there, to quit your job, to go to South India. Did you think when you went you'd end up doing something else or what was your sort of plans when you went to visit? Was it just to see a new part of the world, think about what you wanted to do next? Well, my year and a half was in India was all about applying my engineering to real-world problems. Mm. So I really wanted my engineering to help people on this planet. I wanted them to be positively impacted by my work. And I was making clean and efficient cooking stoves in this village in South India. And I begged for my job (laughs) to come back to before I left for India. At the company I was with, they didn't offer sabbaticals which is like a pause in your career. Mm. And I'm so glad they didn't offer it because I'd still be in that company to this day. Mm. But what ensued was this kind of 
realization that there was this real untapped large majority of the world that really needed impact first products that I took for granted essentially mm. the lady that I spoke about Divya who was my next neighbor was a case in point of that you know her life was an everyday struggle whether it was foraging for wood to cook her food hand washing her family's clothes or standing in line for water you know she used to spend hours and hours a day on what is called unpaid labor I saw this and I saw this as a problem and I asked her I said Divya why are you spending all this time doing these relatively unproductive chores I'll just buy you an electric washing machine and she said Nav I don't have a generator there's frequent blackouts and it uses too much water mm-hmm. so the electric washing machine that you're going to buy me is not going to be of use to me and so that was the kind of penny drop moment for me to make a washing machine for my next door neighbor Divya mm. you know they say entrepreneurs is solving a problem that is the ultimate you've got the problem finding the solution there isn't it so once you'd sort of seen this problem and you'd recognize obviously it needs a non-electric washing machine so how did you go about creating that first product you told us you got some heritage of in your childhood <laughs> taking things apart <laughs> and build and put back together so you got some sort of experience but what how did you actually go about turning that into an actual thing The very first thing that I did was I I came back home to London and I emailed or guessed the emails or dropped into the DMs of most manual washing machine manufacturers around the world mm. to see what they're working on and and could I support them. So I really tried to understand who's trying to solve the issue right now. Mm. And I think I messaged five or six companies and maybe one replied. So that was quite interesting. Mm. the one company that did reply i invited to my mom's house around my mom's kitchen table with a couple of my other friends in the design community oh. that i was in and we started sketching up some ideas of what this machine could look like and we had this kind of salad spinner in the corner of the kitchen and that was the kind of first bits of ideation that we had you know maybe the salad spinner could be a part of the solution mm-hmm. essentially mm-hmm. in parallel to that you know we did a lot of research on the ground user needs based research on what the actual issue and the problem was and i just fell in love with the problem mm-hmm. because for me that's the thing that we're trying to tackle the solution comes afterwards and that will always change but that problem for divya will always exist and we did so much research you know 30 countries 3000 families on just how they wash clothes and i think that was really important to then go on to develop a product that's amazing i fell in love with the problem i love that that's a great quote so once you'd got that product and it was made and you know you've obviously identified the problem and you've got one of the solutions so how did you then go about actually getting it out there actually get it out to the people that need it because i imagine that was quite an operation yeah and this is also one of the top tips i have for any budding entrepreneur is that often your first supporters or your your first users your first customers clients the people that are going to adopt your product are the people in your network whether that's your friends or your family on your socials they're the ones that are going to bite so to speak mm-hmm. first it was the case for me as well i was studying a masters at the time and one of my friends that I was studying with was kind of a very prominent person in an ngo in iraq and they said why don't you come out to iraq and test your prototype with us and lo and behold my friend and i 
went out to Iraq the next week. We bodged this prototype together using stuff that we found on Amazon. And we packed our clothes in this machine, wrapped it up, took it on the plane, looked very dodgy. And we took it to Iraq and we tested this manual washing machine with 79 Yazidi refugee families in five refugee camps in 2018. That report is still on our website, thewashingmachineproject.org, and it was the kind of first in-person trials that we did to get user testing and feedback on the actual prototype, and, and we developed the product from that point. What happened afterwards was, you know, Oxfam, one of the world's largest NGOs, saw this work and said, you know, hey, we want to fund another 50 in another six months. So we used that funding to then develop the next prototype with the feedback that we got from the first one and iterated since then. And the nice thing is that we call our washing machines, Divya washing machines, based on the inspiration behind the product. Mm. So we're now on Divya 1.65, which is the fifth iteration. And there's a lot more thought that goes into the development of the product. And I have an amazing team now that's entire job is to just improve the product make it more reliable, make it even better in terms of wash performance. Yeah, really excited with the future innovations that we're coming up with. That's fabulous. It's amazing. Yeah, how, it does show you the power of contacts you should use in your network to get a business going. So Divya, the inspiration for this business, how involved was she in you know you coming up with, with these ideas? Was she sort of heavily involved in the search for the solution? The families that we meet all around the world are involved in our solution, whether it's Kausek, the 36-year-old Syrian refugee that we met in Lebanon, or Patricia, the 14-year-old schoolgirl in Uganda, or Steve, the Vietnam War veteran who's been homeless for 14 years on the streets of Texas. You know, all of these users are driving innovation in our product. And, you know, I'm inspired every day by seeing these people understanding their needs and putting it into our development. Mm. That's fabulous. It's amazing to hear those, yeah, those real life stories. So obviously you said that Oxfam, you know, spotted this, you know, like the massive NGO that Oxfam is. And with your solution, there's an obvious match there. But a lot of businesses will, will you know, that will be a massive aim to work with big organizations that can sort of fund their idea and help to get their ideas out to the people that need them. So what what is your advice for sort of working with an organization like that initially, you know, getting them on board and then maintaining a good relationship? I think my advice to anyone that wants to work with any partner of any size is to just do what they're good at, you know, just deliver what you say you deliver and the rest will follow. So we ultimately, as the washing machine project, want to positively impact people who hand wash clothes. That's women and children who spend hours a day hand washing clothes. That's our bread and butter and we'll work with anyone who wants to align that with that mission bar a couple of restrictions. I think, you know, people get distracted with the big brands and the big names, but if you can deliver on, on what you say you want to deliver, that is the key to your success. My feedback is rather than targeting bigger and bigger organizations, just do the thing that you're good at. Find that thing that you're good at and do it in the most efficient way possible, whether that's through efficient resources, little to no time, filling in a gap or an unmet need mm. yeah i suppose you're right that is a good point there you can get a bit distracted can't you by you know you think you need to work with some very famous big organization but actually focus on what you're good at 
and that will come naturally, I guess. One of the sort of key themes generally of this series is digital and how small businesses use digital marketing and digital tools. So what role does digital play? Social media, does it play quite a big role in in your business? It really depends on the segment that we're trying to target. So the people that actually hand wash clothes and use the physical product are probably not going to be online, Mm. essentially, you know. They're not going to be on LinkedIn, for example, or maybe they will, but, you know, large masses of the target segment living below the poverty line right now are not going to be consuming our media Mm. through TikTok or Instagram. Mm. So I think it's really trying to understand what different areas that you're trying to segment on online. And for us, we found very, very early interest and engagement from people that just really want to follow our journey. Every time we updated people on where we were or what innovation we were working on or what traction we were getting. People were really interested in that. And we got picked up in different news outlets and bigger news outlets and celebrities started endorsing Mm. us and then big studios invited us to do film features. And that all started with just continually to tell the story and just tapping into that interest and that engagement. Mm. And that was very early on we understood that, you know, People are really interested in the founder story, the journey that we're on, and the overall impact that we're creating. Yeah, you mentioned press there, and you've you've had like you know hundreds and hundreds of mentions, haven't you, in, in massive publications and smaller publications. I imagine that's been a massive driver, isn't it, of awareness? And again, what would be your advice to business owners on on managing sort of media relations and using the press to your advantage? We haven't spent a penny on marketing. That's something that needs to be made aware of. People ask me all the time, well, how do you do it? How do you get into big media outlets? And again, I would say start small. Back in the very early days, I approached my primary school and my high school to feature on their newsletter. And then I went to local press and then regional and then national and then international. We were as gassed getting into my primary school newsletter as we are on Netflix, you know. And <laughs> for us, it's all about telling the story and things like podcasts really work well, collaboration, consistency and creativity are the three C's that we adopt when it comes to PR and media. As a journalist, that's music to my ears. It's similar to what we said about going for the big organisations as partners. Sometimes people neglect, they want to be on CNN from day one, but they don't think about their primary school newsletter. That's super local because that is powerful, isn't it? It reaches a particular audience and you've obviously got the connection. And those are going to be your first advocates, you know. They're the ones that are going to talk about you at the weekend at the barbecue and that's how word of mouth spreads and people follow you on their journey and I've I get messages to this day from people that started following us from five years ago and how much traction we've got and I get messages from my old primary school teacher saying just wanted to let you know that we're following a journey and we're so proud of you so don't underestimate the power of your local community I think that's the first time we've talked about primary school <laughs> newsletters on this podcast, but now it's a marketing channel. Yeah. Right. It's very targeted and it gets to people, doesn't it, straight away. Yeah. What would you say have been your biggest challenges in this journey and have you overcome them? I think the first challenge was the credibility, getting people to believe in the mission and the story and the vision. And I think once you nail that, the other challenges are operational, whether it's product related, getting the right product for the right value in the most efficient way. And then obviously funding, you know, that's one of the biggest challenges for every entrepreneur out there, you know, how to do this sustainably for the long-term future rather than the short-term gain. 
to overcome those challenges, you need to ask the tough questions to begin with. How am I going to make money? How am I going to be here in 10 years' time? Do I even want to be here in 10 years' time? And for us, our strategy was to not pursue investor funding because of our traction. We decided to pivot towards crowdfunding and tapping into our community. And then we applied for grants, awards, and then uh, corporate philanthropy and fundraising like that. So there Mm. are several ways that you can access funds. And those are just some of the examples. How did it go with crowdfunding? What was your experience of using that as a method? We were lucky because we launched our crowdfunding on the back of big traction on various media appearances. So we had traffic coming to our website which always really helps and I know of other people that where crowdfunding hasn't worked so I think again it's all about the story why should I give my hard earned pound to you to push your mission and vision and I think if you can convey that value add to the end user or the beneficiary or the person that's parting ways with their money that's a good starting point. That's brilliant. That's great advice. Do you want to talk a little bit about, you've sort of touched on it in various answers, but more specifically, some of the impact that you've created. You know, I've read some of the stats about the washing machines that have been delivered, the women that have been empowered, but do you want to talk a bit more about the impact you've had so far? Yeah, sure. And this is my personal favorite part is is (laughs) how we get to change people's lives for the better with our work through the Washing Machine Project. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that we distribute in eight countries now. We've positively impacted close to 30,000 lives through our machines. We get to distribute to homeless shelters, to orphanages, to primary schools, to refugee camps, to low-income areas around the world. I mentioned Kausek, and she's a really good example of why this matters. You know, a 36-year-old Syrian refugee living in a camp with her 10 children before having to hand wash clothes. And those are examples where why this really matters. Patricia, who goes to a primary school and an orphanage just outside of Kampala, is someone who often has to choose between work, study, rest and clean clothes. And I'm really proud that she doesn't have to choose between those things anymore. You know, she can use our machine and save time to do that. It's fabulous. Like again, you know, as a journalist, it's unsurprising that you've had, you know, so much interest from the media because you've got those such amazing stories. You know, it's all about storytelling, isn't it? And you've you've got such amazing ones, real life impact. Your organization, your business has got a massive mission. It's very clear that you are doing good. But a lot of entrepreneurs, most entrepreneurs want to do good, but it's not necessarily so obvious, you know, say a stationary company or, you know, they haven't necessarily got the moat, but they want to do good. So what is your advice on finding a mission for your business and being a force for good as a business owner? Yeah, I think the Japanese really define this appropriately, which is ikigai, right? So the ability to find something that you're passionate about, the ability to earn money from it, and the ability to positively impact the world. If you can find that, then you've got a pretty good mission (laughs) in life, and it'll make it much easier when you you can't reach payroll and it's 4 a.m. and you're trying to think of ways to keep the business alive. Whereas if it's a stationary company, it's a bit easier to say no and pack it in <laughs> very good answer there that's brilliant what would you say are your plans for the future of the washing machine project i guess it's continuing the great work what you do but if you were you know if i did ask you in 10 years time we were having this conversation what do you hope you would have achieved in in the next 10 years 
we were just talking about this about two hours earlier to this conversation we we're just having because mm. we're always constantly thinking about the future. I miss the days where we have a request for a machine and the next week we would just go out there. So I'd I'd love to just still remain nimble and agile with our growth, but we're here to make impact. So you know. Hundreds of thousands of lives will be positively impacted through our innovations. We'll have multiple products in the market, so not just machines, you know. We want to become the Dyson of the humanitarian world. So whether that's cooking, cleaning, washing, lighting, air conditioning, you know, people like Divya and Kalsek and Patricia really deserve really good innovation that's affordable and fit for their needs. Mm, fabulous. And just finally, a question that we're asking everyone at the end of the podcast, and you've, you've given so many tips already, but if we had to conclude with one ultimate tip for business success, what would it be for you? My ultimate tip for business success is to fall in love with the problem because the solution will always change. Absolutely fabulous. Now, thank you so much for sharing your story and for joining us on the Small Business Sessions. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Enterprise Nation's Small Business Sessions podcast, powered by Business Connected and our partners Vodafone Business, Builder.ai and JP Morgan. If you've been inspired during this episode, head to enterprisenation.com forward slash business connected to register for webinars and to access free business training. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time.